This is a continuation of the interview from our last episode, so please go back and check out part one if you haven't listened yet. Hi, and welcome to episode 40 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. David McIntosh joining us. He is a pediatric ENT specialist in Australia who has a strong interest and focus on sleep-disordered breathing and the possible link between upper airway problems and orthodontic disease. He is the author of the book, Snored to Death, and he will be traveling to the United States on March 14th, 2020 to present an ENT training day covering topics like ENT anatomy and physiology, snoring and sleep apnea, tongue-tie release, reflux, allergic rhinitis, otitis media, ENT surgical procedures, and CBCT interpretation. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Not every kid with ADHD that has sleep disorder breathing when they have their tonsils and adenoids out has their ADHD disappear. They actually happen to have both. Kids can have more than one thing going on. But let's get the obvious stuff out of the room first, and then you can see what's in the corners. Right. How do you make a differential diagnosis until you've ruled out all the underlying possible causes? (laughs) Well, if you get the big things out of the way, and then you you can deal with the other stuff. But the other thing is, Dealing with that other stuff then becomes a lot easier too, because one, you know, it's there. Um, you know, so for example, we know that kids that have true ADHD and sleep disordered breathing that need medication mm-hmm. and you know, the medication works quite well when it's used in the right scenarios. Yeah. Um, when we deal with their sleep disordered breathing, they still got the ADHD. They need less medication as a group. Mm. So, so, you know, we're using the least amount of medication to achieve the same effect. Yeah. because we're not having to over-medicate on top of the sleep-disordered breathing. Yeah. So, so that's that part of it. And then the, the problem too then is um, the parents. And, and it's not their fault, but parents really don't know or understand that these are problems until someone tells them that. You know, they, they, you know, they go, oh, yeah, they've, they've snored for a long time and we always thought it was cute, mm-hmm. you know, or, or they, yeah, they snore terribly just like their dad does. Yeah. Um, and they all, they go, oh, geez, they're miserable and grumpy things mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah. You know, just, just sort of saying that's just who they are mm-hmm. without realizing that that may be a manifestation of something underneath. Yeah. So that, that's that side of things. So, so when, you know, when the, the ENT say they're okay, well, are they okay based on that full and thorough assessment or they're okay because they don't stop breathing at night because mm-hmm. that's not the same okay in my right. book. Yeah, well, and I know that the the scale that was even created, um, that Gilliam and all, you know, that he created with the, uh, I think he, I don't know if it was just three levels or if there were four, but I know it was like mild, moderate, severe, you know, sleep disorder breathing or sleep apnea or whatever he termed it. Um, I, I know he's actually, and he's since passed, but I know that he had 
made a statement that he was sorry he ever created that because even mild is still a problem. However, in the US, it seems that people get a mild diagnosis of sleep apnea and they get written yeah. off like, oh, you're fine. Send you yeah. on your way, which no, you're not yeah. fine. You shouldn't be showing no. up with anything. Well, well this, this, is, this is where the mistake truly lies is, is mm-hmm. that um, if, you know, let, let's, let's focus on this part of it. Again, this is all scientific um, in yeah. terms of what's out there. Yeah. Um, normally with a disease process, okay, um, like diabetes is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. So, so with diabetes, that all relates to your blood sugar or your blood glucose blood level. You know, you go to a lab, they measure it after you've been fasting for a while and a certain number is the threshold. Mm-hmm. That threshold is a statistically derived number mm-hmm. and it's based on the higher your blood sugar goes, at what point is the tipping point where the risk of the consequences becomes so significant that it's worth treating. Yeah. You know, and you know, if say, you know, it depends on which lab and countries and so forth. So let me just use an artificial number for a moment. Mm -hmm. So let's say the threshold is six. Okay. And then you measure 5.9 and I measure Mm 6.1. Okay. Yeah. You know, statistically, I'm on the bad side of the fence and you're on the good side of the fence. Yeah. So we need to have a line in the sand, okay? Yeah. But that line in the sand was created scientifically. Yeah. Now, for me, they would start going, look, you're actually, you've jumped over that side. We're going to try and start pulling you back. For you, they'd say, look, you're really close to it. Um, you know, there are medications for it. Um, you know, we're going to have to monitor this closely, but, you know, heads up, you're on the verge of, 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 of us calling you diabetic. Um, you need to reevaluate your diet, your lifestyle, and start, you know, trying to moderate things so we can get you away from this line and get you away from the need for medication. Yeah. So that's how we come to something like diabetes. Yeah. Um, when, when you look at the sleep apnea criteria, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30, all very round, nice, comfortable numbers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely zero correlation with risk. They were just nice round numbers in terms of representing the quantity of episodes. Mm-hmm. Because the theory is that the worse you are on the spectrum of those, the more at risk you are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very poor relationship between your sleep study result and your degree of risk for consequences of having sleep apnea. So that's one thing. Okay. The second thing is that sleep is not a constant experience. Mm-hmm. So if, if we take you and we um, do a sleep study tonight and we do another one tomorrow night, mm-hmm. so we do same person, same environment, two in a row. Yeah. Okay. 40, four zero, 40 percent of the time we'll get a completely different measurement. Wow. Okay. What that means is that if, for example, today, uh, and these, these, these are the things that can have an impact, all right? So today um, you um, went to the gym, did a big workout, you came home, um, had a lot of work to do, stayed up a bit later than normal, had a few extra glasses of red wine than you normally would have, went to sleep, we did the sleep study, we go, oh, my gosh, you got sleep apnea. Mm. We've got, we got to fix this. Without checking it, checking it the next night, which could be perfectly normal. Okay. So the things that actually change the sleep, um, it changes with the day of the week that we do it. So um, people tend to run a bit of a sleep debt because of the way that we live these days. So by Friday, you tend to be tired more. 
So your sleep study result will be more towards representing the fact that you've got some tiredness and fatigue mm. within your sleep. Um, whether you've done exercise the day before affects your sleep study the next night. Whether you work shift work affects your sleep study result. Whether you've had alcohol affects your, your result. Uh, for women, where they are in their menstrual cycle affects their result. So what we've actually look at, if we want to get a, a good representation and running average of sleep is we actually need to do four nights in a row and then average those four nights out to sort of say, look, collectively, this is where you're at. But we don't do that. We take snapshots, which can be misrepresentative in either direction. We can be saying people are perfectly normal when they're not. We can be misrepresenting where they are on the spectrum on average um, when people do these sleep studies, they may not drink the red wine or alcohol that they would normally have because um, they're all wired up and they're just like, oh, stuff this, I'm just going to go to bed. And they'll do look perfectly fine. But, you know, the alcohol is their tipping point. Yeah. You know, it's the thing that knocks them over the other side, but they didn't do it because it was an abnormal situation. So we have these sorts of variables that come into the mix that actually make this story a lot more complicated um, than it is on the surface. And then the other thing is that if we sort of rewind and look at the experience we had in children, we sort of borrowed this, the, the, the adult stuff and then we kept rewinding, the, you know, pushing that line in the sand back further and further and further until we said, look, they don't even need to snore. They're just the mouth breathing's enough. Mm-hmm. What we now know in adults that are snoring, that have normal sleep studies, and you've got to be mindful of what a normal sleep study does based on what I just explained. Yeah. But they, they are snorers with normal sleep studies they are at increased risk of having thickening of the blood vessels to the brain. So that plaque that builds up, we call it atherosclerosis or atherogenesis. So it's those fat plaques that build up within the blood vessels to the brain in snorers, increased risk between seven to 11 times the increased risk. Wow. Okay. Um, With a normal sleep study, when you take all other variables into account. Um, So, we have a problem with relying on sleep studies. Um, If you had a blood test for anemia, so which is a low blood count Mm -hmm. and you know, it came back as normal today, but that you're anemic tomorrow and nothing else has changed. Mm -hmm. There's a problem with the test. The problem with this test is we're measuring something that varies. So, and this is where, you know, people say, look, you know, I, I had whatever and it cured my sleep apnea. Well, did it really cure your sleep apnea? Or did you have a different night's sleep that night compared to the one where they showed you that you had sleep apnea? Mm. So, so you can get caught out with these, with these measurements um, be, just because of the variation that sleep entails. So that actually makes this story a lot more complicated rather than simplifies it. Yeah, but, <laughs> it does. But it also right, you know, brings awareness to it so that people know that, you know what, I don't care what anyone says. I know that people telling me that I'm snoring terribly and I'm waking up feeling really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sleep study might be saying that everything's okay, but that everything that is okay isn't necessarily the be all and end all in terms of what the sleep study is trying to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And so, and yeah. I know you have a whole book on, um, um, sleep disordered breathing and, and the like. And I don't know if you want to share anything about that, but you can, sure. you can show us the book so we can sure. see it for those who are watching this. 
Snorks bring that up that. there. Hopefully that comes through. It's always hard to know how, it, how the resolution is on the end of, end of these things. It's great. So, so, um, so people, you know, one of the first things they notice is the title is Snore to Death and find that all a bit intimidating at, at one level. Um, but as, as you read the book, it, you, know, it, it, you know, I explain why I chose that title mm-hmm. um, because it, it's a play on words. And it's played on, a play on two words. Um, one is bored to death, bored, mm-hmm. sorry, bored to, te- to death. You know, people that are sort of, you know, sitting around, you know, lacking energy, lacking enthusiasm, they're bored, they're just d- dead bored. Yeah. That's people with sleep apnea, mm-hmm. with sleep disordered breathing. Um, the other one um, that, um, you know, um, uh, that is out there um, is, um, you know, bored to tears. Mm-hmm. So these are the people that are upset and emotional. That's your people with sleep disordered breathing too. Mm-hmm. And the cumulative effect of not breathing properly um, is an early death. That, that, you know, it, it's an impact on not only your health quantity but your health quality. We're talking about a propensity to putting on weight, a propensity to high blood pressure, a propensity towards diabetes, propensity towards dementia, propensity towards heart attacks and strokes, mm-hmm. um, kidney disease, liver disease. Uh, every single body organ is impacted by not breathing properly. And the analogy that's in the book that um, you know is um, something that uh, resonates with people um, is that if you put your bed to child, you know, your child to bed at night mm-hmm. and someone walks in through the front door, walks past you into their bedroom and starts to- choking your child at night, how many parents are going to accept and tolerate that scenario repeatedly? Mm-hmm. The consequence of what that person is doing to the child, is choking them, is obstructing their airway. That, that, that's the consequence of it. Giving me chills. But, yeah, no, that's oh, well, gonna... this, is, this, is, this is the point of it. I mean, this, this yeah. is what you have to do sometimes to drive it home. Yeah. It's exactly what the child is doing to themselves. Yeah. It's the, exactly the same scenario, but the mindset is approached differently. Yeah. That person walking in there, that person's going to be at the end of a shotgun or a twenty-two real quick. Mm-hmm. Okay. That person's going to be, you know, incarcerated and jailed and imprisoned and so forth. You don't put up with it. You don't tolerate it. You would not not tolerate it that night, let alone let it persist. Mm -hmm. No, that that's not good. That's not acceptable. If you don't know that your child is doing exactly the same thing to themselves, if you're unaware then it's very easy to be dismissive. And that, that, that's not a criticism. No. You don't know what you don't know. Right. But as soon as you know mm-hmm. and you fail to act yeah. and you fail to follow through, yeah. that's when you're taking some responsibility and ownership for the problems that your child then is going to develop later on in life. Yeah. And that's what I go through within the book. I sort of say, look, you know, this is what happens when things go wrong at an early age. And this is how it projects out in terms of how the brain works, how the heart works, how the cardiovascular system works, how the jaw grows, how the teeth develop, how all these things start to spiral on themselves. Allergies, reflux, um, you know, everything that, you know, that comes into play. 
and then I explain, you know, you know, the issues with assessing it and diagnosing it, and then how basically it's all about unraveling the ball of string that's all tangled upon itself. Yeah. And, you know, you're trying to get that string out straight and you sort of, you know, if you've got too many people pulling it too many times at too many direct directions, you're not going to make progress. So you need to have a, you know, a, a plan of attack and a pathway that makes sense. And, and in, in my book, and I know, you know, I'm biased um, because of what I do. The first thing that these children need to do is they need to be seen by an ENT that will look and assess the airway for obstruction and also know what the ENT obstructions are, but also know what the craniofacial ones are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, um, you know, I send these kids off to dentists for uh, palatal expansion and, and, and you know, jaw and orthodontic things because I can make the most of the space, yeah. but if there's not enough space there initially, we need to improve upon that as well. Yeah. And, but because of that time frame that I talked about, that six month time frame, the reason that surgery goes in first is because it's the quick pressure release valve. People talk about it, oh, it doesn't work or they relapse and, you know, they have problems later on. That's not the right part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. The right part of the conversation is that there is someone in the room choking the child. Mm -hmm. The ENT is the person, they're the law enforcement people coming in and removing that person. Mm. Then we can pick up the pieces of everything else. Yeah. Okay. But we need to optimize whatever we've got first so that can facilitate everything else happening because as you alluded to you can do all the myofunctional therapy in the world but for someone that's got big tonsils and adenoids you're walking up uh, mount everest with a 40 kilogram or 80 pound rucksack okay you 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 might get somewhere you you are not going to get to the top Okay, that child is going to tap out well beforehand and lose interest and and you're not going to get anywhere. That is more where you're setting these children up for failure. So so that's where the ENTs come into the picture. But they've also got to know that they're not the whole story. Mm -hmm. You know, some think that all you've got to do is, oh, you've just got to take them out and that fixes them. That's, that's, That's not a reality. The the bit where we're lucky is, is often that actually does play out to be the case. So we've got to be careful about sort of having a selection bias in what we see because, you know, when it's second opinion or follow-up stuff, um, it's in the context where there's still ongoing problems. Yeah. The, the, the successful ones don't come and, you know, see me and say, look, my kid had their tonsils and adenoids out. It worked, worked really well, but I just want you to double check it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. Right. So you've got to be mindful that, you know, we don't see that part of the picture. Yeah. So we don't want to sort of get too focused on thinking that, what we're seeing is the whole picture. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do see a lot of these, especially preschoolers who have had tonsils and adenoids out or one yeah. or the other. And we have seen sleep dramatically improve. We've seen their behavior dramatically improve. We've seen their interest in eating improve. They may still have oral motor deficits because they also yeah. had a tongue tie and they have other, you know, orofacial myofunctional yeah. things going on. Um, you know, or we just have to, you know, work on certain factors, but you know, we do see a lot of improvements, even when there is sometimes other things to be addressed. And like you said, you know, we're working, we're looking at anatomy. What is what airway first is what I always tell everybody is step one is airway. Step two 
is there enough space in the palate, like you mentioned, um, because we may start palatal expansion before I will treat a child for myo as well. Um, yep. And I think that's, you know, those are both two very good points. And, you know, I have two other sayings that I say to my families, and I posted this all over social media, but I say snoring is never normal. I don't right. care to what degree. And that's actually had a lot of local moms, um, friends of mine, and just people who follow me on Facebook go, well, what do you mean snoring's not normal? I mean, even just like a little bit, you know, the baby snores. No, <laughs> let's talk about what's going on here. So I'm glad that this public service announcement has actually led, you know, it was just a yeah. post that I put up one day more for my colleagues and people in the space. And I'm really happy to see that people are paying attention. Um, but then the other one I always say is airway is life. If, if you can't breathe, you're dead. And it sounds so morbid, but I feel like you have to, like you said, you have to drive it home that, that, you know, example that you use is powerful and it's what people need that knock on the head to realize like how serious of an issue this is and how, you know, we can't just brush under the table and treat them anyways, just because somebody won't touch their tonsils or their adenoids. That's not, that's not fair. So, um, you know, I really appreciate, you know, the, the book and, um, we will link to all of this in the show notes. Um, yeah. you also have a class. Oh, you, I know you want to say something, I but I want say, to mention I just want to build on one thing that you just said then, yes. because, because again, I'm going to extend the analogy. Yeah. Okay. okay. So you, you know, the mum said, Oh, they only snore a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to change the scenario. Keep your anxiety levels down. We're just talking conceptually so that you get a visual. Mm-hmm. Okay. You sort of, if you get, sometimes you get these sort of quite marked visuals. It, it just yeah. like all of a sudden the, the penny drops. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to come and stand behind you and I'm going to start choking you. Mm. Okay. Now, if I choke you a little bit, you <laughs> yell and scream and make noise. Mm-hmm. If I choke you a lot, you're silent. Mm. Snoring a little bit may be representative that this child is extremely blocked mm. and only shifting a small amount of air. Wow. Because they are that blocked. So the saying is that all noisy breathing is obstructed, but not all obstructed breathing is noisy. Mm. Okay. So snoring a little bit, snoring a little bit could represent one of two scenarios, a little bit of blockage Mm -hmm. or a lot. Mm -hmm. Because the amount of noise that you make is representative of how blocked you are. And the only time you stop making noise is if you are not obstructed or you're completely obstructed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and I think there's also a misconception too, just from a parent standpoint, because I've had kids who snore, but the parents say, oh, they're great sleepers. They sleep all night. They don't wake up. They, you know, and I have had to have conversations with them and say, well, they're probably sleeping all night because they're so exhausted that their body is just not able to, they're not waking up because they're yep. never getting good sleep. So the quality yep. of sleep is what we're looking Absolutely. at now in the airway. Yep you know, impact yep. on the airway. So yeah, exactly. So it's, it's quality and quantity and, and yeah. four, four good hours is better than 12 bad hours. Mm. Um, so, so the, the, when, when that scenario arises, I have a very easy question for those parents. I say, well, did your kid wake up tired or refreshed? Mm-hmm. You know, they're easy to get up and go in the morning or they, you got to push them out of bed and, and, and really, you know, get them moving. Yeah. And they go, Oh no, they always wake up tired. Yeah. You know, the, the parents have not clicked that this child's got a problem. Yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's not normal. But, you know, and then I say to him, well, look, if you put your phone on the charger at night and you wake up in the morning and the battery's on 3%, <laughs> you go, oh, crap. <laughs> you, you, you know, two things, you yeah. know, your charge is no good and you know that your phone is not going to get through the day. Yeah. Same with your child. 
They're waking up tired. They didn't recharge and they're not going to go well during the day. That's a great point. Yeah. And this, you know, you just got to put it in terms that people can relate to and understand. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, quite so confronting. It's amazing how people get upset with the idea that their phone won't work during the day. It's just like, (laughs) that's a great one. I'll use that because that'll resonate with a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So tell me about, I know you have an upcoming class in March in the U S I don't know if you also teach in Australia as well, but tell us, you know, what is it that you teach on? Is it what we were talking about today or? Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I, I, I've been doing this for, uh, to be honest, I've lost count. It must be seven or eight years now. Uh, But basically it's uh, a course where I try and bring a lot of what we've talked about to the table. Um, and then try and share it from a, an ENT slash medically trained point of view, mm-hmm. um, but also integrates with what, as I've said, had the you know, benefit and opportunity of learning from others. Mm-hmm. So initially I start off with just a general overview uh, where I sort of say, look, you know, these are all the ENT things that have an impact um, on, you know, a whole range of, of disease conditions, asthma, diabetes, blood pressure, obesity, all sorts of things. And then I just go through, look, this is some basic ENT anatomy, just so we make sure that people know, you know, what's going on, because it's, it's, it's interesting sometimes where you can make assumptions and, and find that they were flawed, that people don't necessarily know where the tonsils are or where the adenoids are, yeah. or they haven't heard of the septum or they haven't heard of turbinates. So I go through the anatomy. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of go through a bit of the physiology and say, look, this is actually how breathing works. It's all good and well to sort of, you know, talk about how breathing is a problem, but if you don't actually know how it works then you can't understand how it's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. So we go through that and talk about how the nose and the sinuses work. And then we sort of start walking into the pathology, talking about pediatric sleep disordered breathing, uh, talk about reflux, talk about allergies, talk about tongue tie, mm-hmm. talk about adult street, um, sleep apnea, talk about the, you know, the investigations, the treatment options, the management options, and, and really give a, you know, a big, broad, integrated picture of, of how this all comes into play and also just reflecting on a lot of the evidence as well, just to sort of sort of say, you know what, um, you know, people sort of, you know, want to walk away with what you asked me early on. How can I try and convince people? Mm-hmm. Um, the only real way you're going to convince people at the end of the day is, first of all, find someone that's open to being convinced, right. open to say, look, if you can come in and you can show me stuff that I haven't seen before um, that, that is reasonable and, and, and I can make sense of it, then, you know, I'm going to go and look at it. People to say, look, I already know this stuff. You're not going to teach me anything. There's no point barking up that tree. Yeah. So one of the things I do is it's, I think it's 92 pages or whatever of references. Mm -hmm. So you've got 92 pages of references that come with the course that are all on this topic so that you can sort of pick out whatever you want and just go, all right, well, that's that one. Or you can use it however you want. You know, if you're sitting with the mom and she's saying, oh, can't believe my kid's got ADHD and they're going to go on this medication and, you know, and you want to try and sort of help them, but they sort of look and go, well, you're not a pediatrician. What do you know? We can say, well, here's, here's this really interesting science paper that, you know, came out 14 years ago showing that children like yours could actually be normal if we find the right person to take them seriously and, and get them better. Um, You know, that's, 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 you know, that, that's where we change lives. So, so that, that's, and that's the premise of the course. It, it, it's, it's not just for healthcare professionals. I've had non-healthcare professionals. I've had doctors, dentists, um, uh, myologists, dental therapists, 
dental hygienists. I've had uh, physiotherapists, chiropractors, osteopaths, um, nurses. Uh, It's really suited for everyone because at the end of the day, um, it's scary what walks inside my head in terms of how much I know, but it's useless within my own mind. Um, If I can give it to other people and and have these ambassadors that can go out there and and have something of more substance rather than just a gut feeling or, you know, and so forth and go, you know what, I've got a whole book of references now that I can cherry pick out and so forth and share in a a non-confrontational way, trying to be um, collegial and just say, look, I'm not disparaging what you're saying. I'm not disparaging what you're doing, but I need someone to explain what I'm reading to me because this is what I'm reading. Mm. You know, can you explain this to me? You know, why is what they're saying in this wrong? Why wouldn't we want to change based on what they're starting to see in, in, you know, in what they're publishing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might go further that way, but you've, the first thing you've got to find someone that's, that's open to the suggestion. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that too is making sure you, you, you are barking up the right tree to start with. There's no good walking into the ENT that just does throat cancer work. Right. That's, 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 that's not their dance. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get them to change partners. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's easier said than done um, in terms of it all. Um, but they're out there. Um, you know, they don't necessarily call themselves airway centric per se. Right. You know, they just, they do it and they just, you know, like I said, you know, Go back 10 years. I was just flying under the radar for a lot of people um, because, you know, I was just doing what I did, you know, and I was just doing it at the local level. Um, and then I sort of realised that there's other people out there that are sort of, you know, doing the same thing, but they're not ENTs, but they're frustrated, like, you know, your frustrations that other ENTs. And I'm going, like you, I thought, oh, I, I actually thought everyone did this too. Yeah. And then you start going, you go, actually, no, they don't. And you go, why is that? And you go, and then the penny drops. Why? Because I don't do everything either. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you just got to find them and, and so forth. And when you find them, you know, everyone's on different curves. So, you know, if you had me 12 years ago, probably 5% of this conversation would have happened mm. and 95% wouldn't. Mm. And the reason that it's happened is because, I've stumbled across these people and I've stumbled across these things and I've been open-minded to take it on board and go, all right, it's more than, you know, just, just them saying it. They've actually can, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk with backing it up. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's dig into this a bit deeper. And then as you do, you look underneath that rock and you go, I'm glad I found this. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here going, you know what? I'm a surgeon and my surgery does not fix everybody, Mm -hmm. but I've got the insight to know that and also to know what else they need. Yeah. Well, that um, and that takes best, time. Yeah. But that's that, what makes that you the best kind of practitioner, right? When you can admit that I can't fix or heal everybody. I don't know everything. Absolutely. There's always more to learn, you know, what you don't know. You exactly. don't know what you don't know, but yeah. I think that's, that's what's been so amazing. Also on the flip side, just in this space and ever since starting this podcast is meeting the people who are open to learning from others. And, you know, I learned a lot from you here today. And so thank you so much for, you know, sharing all this and imparting this wisdom. So I know um, there was just a lot of questions and frustrations shared among some of my colleagues that 
hard, it's hard and, to get answers sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that, yeah, and that's interesting when I do the course is, is, is that one, one of the common things that people say, like, you know, apart from having a little bit of a, a blank expression on their face because they're just having this stuff in a different way that's a little bit, wow, um, is, is, is they'll, they'll preface it and say, but I thought dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. So they had these preconceived ideas and so forth. But when I sort of say what I say and, and, and present it with the evidence, mm-hmm. it's sort of like a, wow, I actually, I need to reconsider this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's not just about, you know, building on what people already know. It's, it's, it's yeah. part of is, is challenging what they think they know. Yeah. You know, like, like I, I did with you today about the sleep yeah. studies. Yeah. You know, it's just well, like, and, oh. yeah. and, and with the, uh, the tongue tie at the same time as a, you know, tonsillectomy, it's, yeah. you know, I'm kind of sitting here going, okay, I guess, you know, maybe those are the cases that I have experienced. And sometimes I get more involved cases that are yeah. so far off already yeah. that, you know, yeah. we're dealing with so many other symptoms as well that it's, they really have, they struggle after they've had it all yeah. done at once. And so my perception is we're doing a disservice to them, but maybe in 99% of the cases we're not doing it, you know, it's so it, that yeah. definitely so, challenged. Whatever the, the, the number is, you know, right, just right. The, it's the, totally the, made up numbers, but yes. Yeah. We may not have to work on absolutes. Absolutely. You know, we, we, you know, there's, there's a spectrum out there and then, you know, the things that I see are, you know, if, if, if I, if I relied on what I see, then I would think that every child out there is walking around with big tonsils. Right. And, and I, and everybody that I would see has, a, has a tongue tie. So, exactly. totally okay. yeah. 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 so, you know, we have those <laughs> moments problem, where, you know, right? we, we have those moments where we're sitting in our chairs and, you know, those big tonsils, those tongue ties walk in front of us, sit down, you just go, how the hell did anyone miss this? Right. And then the parent goes, why has nobody else said anything? This is so obvious. Why hasn't anyone else brought this up? You know, so again, you know, so don't worry, we we have similar experiences there, but you just got to back away from that experience and just go, all right. Yeah. Just that scenario this time, there's plenty still coming my way for the right reasons at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that those ones are the ones that our brains latch onto. And and we sort of, you know, hold on to more about those cases. Um, you've forgotten about those hundred other tongue ties that you saw last year that were just, yeah, this is all straightforward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Off we go. This is, you know, so, so yeah. So look, um, I'll I'll be in Texas. Um, uh, it'll be in Dallas. I chose Dallas because I, from Australia, it's, it's a, it's a fair flight. Um, (laughs) I directly from Australia into Dallas. I have friends in Texas. I've spoken in Dallas previously. Um, and Dallas is a good hub for people, you know, throughout, Yes. Um, that, that part of the world, you know, we've got people from Canada that are coming down. Um, so, you know, people sort of say, oh, can you come here and you come there? And you say, look, there's only one of me. Um, right. You know, I, I'm, I'm already making the biggest part of the trip. Yeah. Um, mine's already the most expensive part of the whole thing. So those, those that are sort of, you know, floating around that, that you know, are happy to sort of just, just, you know, give this a chance and give it a go. Yeah. And, and the fee for the course is actually nominal. It's not. <laughs> I did. I honestly did that deliberately. Um, yeah. It's a hundred and fifty. Kind of yeah, it's one hundred and fifty US. Well, look, you know, part of the reality is that I'm an unknown. You know, people sort of. If you're going to roll the dice and do this sort of thing, you don't want to be rolling the dice with your life savings on the table. Sure. You know. So you know, if you genuinely walk away from this not thinking that you got your money's worth, well, then you've got expectations that I can't meet already. Um, but this, if, it's, if it's anything beyond, you know, obviously it'll be a much beyond today since 
you'll have a lot more time to speak with them, but you obviously have a lot of knowledge to share it, in this it, space. It, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 this is just a warm up. Yeah. Um, to, yeah. to, to, to it all. Um, what the course will be like. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. 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 Well, then I think I, then I can't see how anybody would honestly walk away without <laughs> learning something. Well, and well, I, well, I haven't say, had one yet and I've had some pretty smart people in the room. So. <laughs> but if, if they can't at least take away one thing, right. You know, I always say you, it's a good course if you walk away with one new thing that you didn't have going in. So. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Well, now you, you, you reflected that you had a few questions. So we, we made sure we'll make sure we tick those boxes because at the end of the day, this is not my benefit. It's yours and your audiences. So were there any other questions that you just wanted to just double check over just to nip those in the bud? Yeah. Let me, let me take a peek here. Um, do, 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 I think people had questions about on an ENT side of things, what is helpful for a like myofunctional therapist or speech pathologist to put in a report that we're sending oh, you? Because we absolutely. know you don't want a 10 page report from us. So if we were to send you something with a bullet points, like what is the most helpful information? Yeah. Um, in my book, mm-hmm. one of the inserts that I, I have, um, and, and, and to be honest, so this book has its own Facebook page, which I think you've got the details yeah. for. So, yeah. so that insert is actually on the page. Oh, so you can actually cheat and, you know, deprive me of, of, of a book sale by, if you just want to get the checklist. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's on there. So, so, you know, a tick the box thing makes it really easy. Yeah. Um, because okay. you don't need to explain stuff. You know, there's a bit there for comments and, and so forth if you want to make comments. But, you know, sometimes it's just tick the box. You know, sometimes these, these things come to me and, and it's basically would have been easier to tick the boxes that were okay. Mm-hmm. Rather, you know, the boxes that were a problem because there's so yeah. many things that get ticked. Yeah. Um, but basically, if you write us a 10-page report, as respectful as we are of everything that you know and how you want to sort of write it and share it, we won't read it. Right, right. And we won't absorb it. So, yeah. so I, I, I have a rule. If, if, if you cannot condense and consolidate everything that you know into one page, yeah. then you don't know the topic well enough. Yeah. Because you, you need to work out what is the, you know, distill what is the most important thing mm-hmm. and how can I get that across to someone in the quickest and most succinct way. So I'm going to show everybody this and I can share it on social media. I basically created a referral pad where I actually check off the boxes of what my concerns are. And I have additional comments here because I know you guys are not going to read a report. You're probably looking for what is the, why is the child here? Just tell me in like one sentence or a couple boxes. And yeah, yeah. because we're going to go through the process regardless of, of, you know, generating our own history and our own exam. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the 25 word or less, um, scenario, um, is going to be more warmly received than the essay. Um, and, and, and it's going to be absorbed better too. You know, something like that and just goes, look, I'm worried about this child because they've got speech problems, they're snoring, they're mouth breathing. And I think they've got allergies as well. Right. Well, that, that just was, you know, lets us know that, you know, you've got some concerns. We need to make sure that we assess those things um, and see what our perspective is on, on that so that we can feed back to you and say, look, you know what? Yeah, look, I agree. I can see what this is. I think actually this tongue is actually able to move okay, but it's a tone problem because their adenoids are so big, their mouth and mouth posturing and their tones dropping down. Um, you know, maybe we can, you know, get the, this function better by getting the breathing sorted and then you can rehab them. We may not need to release the tongue tie at all, but if we don't quite get there, then we can do that as a second stage. You know, so we don't always sort of just go and do stuff for the sake of it just because we're there. It's sort of just, you know, so that's, that's, that's how I think, you know, we sort of, you know, we worked t- together quite well in terms of the relationships that you can have. 
Um, and, and likewise, you know, you sitting there, you don't want a 20-page report from the ENT each time. Oh. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of going, you know, how much do I actually need to talk about this and how much is actually do I need people to listen to it? Right. It's what they listen to that's going to count more than what you've got to say. Yeah, awesome. So we, we also have a question about, um, I'll, I'll, let's see. Yep. Um, so child went to the ENT. They had their tonsillectomy in December. Mom filled out the pediatric sleep questionnaire and the sleep disorder breathing questionnaire for children before going in for this. Um, how quickly should we see changes to these questionnaires or changes on these questionnaires per se, if we were to give them again after a procedure? Three months. Three months. Okay. Three months. People think it's like flicking a light switch. It's not. Yeah. Okay. Now sometimes we'll see it earlier than that. And it's the same with the myofunctional issues as well. Yeah. Um, You know, if if you wait three months, there's a very high rate of spontaneous resolution Mm -hmm. because they're allowed to resolve because the things that were underlying and driving it have been removed from the equation. So I, I, I set parents on a three-month time frame. I said, you know, between now and the next three months is a recovery and reset period. Mm-hmm. If there's any problems after three months or beyond, then we need to start looking into this more. You know, um, you know what 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 hasn't resolved that should have resolved in theory. You know, what what is the handbrake that is still holding us back? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that, that's the time frame that I use um, to have some sense of it all. Because part of what we're dealing with is what's called neuroplasticity or neuroplasticity. And that is that the way that the brain has adapted to what's going on. Mm. And whenever you're dealing with that sort of thing, um, you know, it has learned certain things. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about the brain is that it can re-educate itself. Yes. You know, and it will do that by itself. It's, it's why, for example, if someone who is right-handed for some reason loses function in that, and they pick up a pen in their left hand, they will be terrible to start with. Yeah. But over time, they will improve. They, you know, that brain goes, all right, I've got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that it, it will come with time. Yeah. Um, it, it won't happen straight away. Even though that person knows how to write, mm-hmm. they don't know how to write that way. Right. It's like a neuromuscular re-education. Yeah. It's the yeah. whole re-education process. And you've got to let the brain sort itself out first so that it, it's, it's, it's then got a mechanism to, to then respond to anything um, that it's trained to do thereafter. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, people are asking about your take on, I guess, assessing the, the tonsils or, and or the adenoids and like imaging um, because mm-hmm. they find that there's ENTs that they've sent kids to. And we know we want to obviously look for somebody who's specialized in this, but they're finding that ENTs are saying they're, that they're airway centric and then they're not, scope they're not doing you know any any imaging at all okay. to even look right. at adenoids so okay so so um for, for me personally um i do not send kids for x-rays to look at the airway i, I okay. don't need to okay. because I, I because i've got my own eyes mm-hmm. and i've got my scope yeah um and that's the gold that's standard of assessment um a, a x-ray is a radiation dose yes okay Yes. For starters, and we know it's an unreliable one. Mm. So, a, a lateral uh, kephalogram mm. to look at the adenoids is notoriously unreliable. Mm. CBCT is a far more accurate thing. Mm. And if they're having it for other reasons, you know, dental reasons, orthodontic reasons, and they just happen to get the airway as part of the field, sure, that's very valuable information. Mm. 
but it's, 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 it's a substitute to the real thing. And the real thing is looking. Um, it's looking, um, you know, inside the nose, inside the mouth, um, using the lights, using the tongue depressors and using the scope. And what if you have like a, let's say two to four, two, three or four year old who's super fidgety and won't let you near their face. <laughs> How yep. do you settle that? Yep. yep. It, 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 they, we know they exist. They're also the exception to the rule. You know, okay. most of the time these kids are actually, if you sort of make a bit of fun and, and, and a game of it, which is what I do, mm-hmm. um, you know, I tell them that we're going to look inside their nose. We're looking for dinosaurs. We're looking for dragons, um, you know, giraffes, elephants, monkeys, crocodiles, you know, the, you know, they, that, that distraction moment just mm-hmm. gives you that opportunity to look. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just use a normal sort of base grade um, torch to start with. It's not as good as a scope, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes you get enough information out there to sort of say, you know what, this kid that's mouth breathing, their nasal passages are clear. I can see those adenoids in the distance. Those adenoids are coming out. Mm-hmm. Someone said, well, when do you recommend removal of tonsils and adenoids? Is there like a certain percentage okay. of blockage or? Okay. All right. So, um, or is it all symptoms? I think, I think one, one thing we possibly can rewind from is that um, for these children, that's not the only operation. You know, if we want to talk about surgical interventions, mm-hmm. tonsil and adenoids by far is the majority of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But we need to know about other elements of the anatomy. So, within the nasal passages, there can yeah. be obstructions there that we need to address. And, and if they haven't been addressed, that can be one of the reasons that tonsil and adenoid surgery fails too. Okay. If you sort of have a, have a, a cookie cutter approach to these kids and then all you do is that they, they snore. So it's automatically tonsils and adenoids. Um, then that's really not directed treatment to the, the pathology. Um, it's just a generic approach. So to answer your question, when, if I'd sort of rephrase the question slightly, yeah. When, when do I relieve a child of their obstruction as soon as possible? Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's no, no, no issue there in terms of what if they're six or what if they're two or what if they're, you know, that that's not, that's not yeah. part of the answer. Or if it's 40% blocking the airway or 80% blocking the airway or it, it based yep. on the symptoms. Yep. And yep. Yep. If, a, if, a, if a child has symptomatic obstruction, then the answer to the question is as soon as possible. Okay. Thank you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's surgical. Yeah. Sometimes if it's nasal allergies and swelling from that, then yeah, we'll try some nasal sprays, for example. Mm-hmm. But if I look at a child and they've got obstructive symptoms and they've got huge tonsils, I'm not going to be mucking around with medication. Yeah. I'm not, you know, as I've said, I'm not going to be mucking around with a sleep study. One, there's a delay with getting a sleep study. Yeah. And two, it doesn't change it. And if you actually look at um, the published literature within the US, if you look at uh, pediatric ENTs that yeah. actually get sleep studies, it's less than 20% of them. Hmm. Okay. All right. The uh, you know, majority of the time they're getting them is because the insurance is mandating that it's done. Right. right. Weird, to me, it's a weird scenario because it's actually costing the insurance company more money. You would think, right? <laughs> Nothing surprises me anymore in the U.S. <laughs> no, no. When I go over there and I have these conversations, it's, it's yeah, people can, we're all just shaking our heads <laughs> in a nice kind of way. It's just like, you know what? It is what it is. Mm-hmm. So we just work with it. So, so does that answer that question though? Just to sort of, yes. sort of partly rephrase the question. When do I relieve a child with airway obstruction? As soon as possible by whatever means is appropriate. 
perfect. Um, looking through Instagram now to see what other questions there were. I think we hit a lot of them. Um, is there any type of coursework other, other than yours, for example, that you're aware of that can enlighten ENTs on this topic if they're not already in the space? Do you know yeah. of? So, so again, um, we're going to go back to what we talked about. Um, yeah. It's really hard to tell someone that thinks they know it. Right. How to suck eggs. Right. <laughs> yeah? and, that, and, that, and that's the problem. Yeah. Um, so, so one is that they have to have insight. And, you know, like I said, most of my insight came into the fact that I, I, I knew it wasn't fixing everyone mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, there are other people out there that have worked that out as well, but they had other things to do. Yeah. Um, it's just like, you know, this is not stuff that I was doing. Um, you know, the, the biggest insight I had was uh, nearly three years ago. There was a big pediatric ENT conference held in the US that I went to. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the speakers was the lead author and runs the the major sleep that uh, lab that did a ten million US dollar study on children and sleep disordered breathing. Mm-hmm. And one of his slides that he put up was of a palatal expander. And in his comment was, um, "I'm starting to see more of these. I think it has something to do with pushing the teeth out." Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so that was the perception of someone that is top of the tree yeah research funding clinic lab in terms of mm-hmm. their insight mm-hmm. so so you know for me it was very disconcerting because I, I i knew more than everyone else in the room and these are the people that you know who, who are writing and publishing the papers got it <laughs> so 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 it makes me sound damn arrogant you know yeah. when i sort of say these things yeah um and that's not my intention I, i'm just reflecting on what i know yeah um and so forth so to answer your question um is there stuff out there look i'm, I'm sure that there is yeah um, they should all come but, to your course so we're going to link that but, here <laughs> Look, yeah, and this is the thing. I know that's not what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. No, 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 no. no. But you know, but you know, if 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 people, you know, you know, sort of knew half of this, yeah, then we wouldn't have the struggles that we've got. Yes. And the problem is the half they don't know is the half that's never taught. Mm -hmm. You know, we're never taught about myofunctional therapy. We're never taught about platelet expansion. In order, we're taught about um, our emotive dysfunctions. Yeah. Um, You know. Yeah, um, we're not taught about pediatric dysphagia in, in the U.S. in our speech pathology courses, yet that's in our yeah. scope of practice. We're just taught about how to work with adults, which is a completely yeah. different beast. So, yeah. you know, we're not taught yeah. about tongue ties in grad school. We're not talk about, taught about oral motor work and that a yeah. lot of this is supposedly changing, but how long will yeah. that take? You know, so it's... Yeah, like all these things, it's a time thing. Yeah. So in, in terms of, you know, what's out there, look, to be honest, I think most of the good stuff is actually within dental circles at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, yeah. the dental element is yeah. far more switched onto this and far more receptive to this yes. because they are seeing the consequences of what is being neglected. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that makes um, so, so that, that, that would be the thing. And, and the thing again, and I'm not trying to be disparaging, but just, just so that people are cautious mm-hmm. is, is that it's not unusual that people will go to these dental run things and there will be someone who is dental teaching about the ENT stuff and then people will come back and they'll ask me about this and that and they're wrong it would be like me trying to teach about speech therapy mm-hmm. you know you, you I, I could bumble my way through it but anyone that's got any insight like you would call me out in, in, in a heartbeat 
Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate uh, that because there are ENTs locally who will comment and say, there's no tongue tie. We're, we're not releasing it because the speech sounds great. <laughs> we're going, wait, what? That's not even yeah. why we sent them to you to look at the yeah. tongue tie. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't exactly. read anything that you know, we sent over on the yeah. three little yeah, yeah. points that were on the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I think the important thing at the end of the day is that um, learn your speech therapy from speech therapy. Yeah. Learn your dental from dental. Learn yeah. your ENT from ENT. Yeah. Um, have a, have a, a wide range of sources. Mm-hmm. When, when someone starts talking outside of their lane, treat it as interesting, but don't treat it as gospel. Yeah. And then, you know, what, what you find interesting, then go and, and sort of background check it with someone where that is their lane. Yeah. You know, you sort of say, look, I went to this course and this person was talking about this. And, you know, and I'll just go, I don't know what they're talking about <laughs> because yeah. this is actually what the story is. Yeah. So again, not being disparaging, but just always just have a degree of skepticism rather than, than automatic acceptance, especially yeah. when people um, either can't present the evidence and it's okay to present opinion, but you know, if they can't present the evidence, then yeah. you sort of just got to have a little bit of a red flag as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And likewise, when they're talking about things that really is not their gig, yeah. um, you know, I can, you know, when I do these things, especially when I do it for dentists, you know, one of my opening things I say is, look, if you want to, you know, I, I am ENT trained. I'm not dentally trained. If you want to make me look to be the dumbest person in the room, yeah. ask me a tooth question. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I always well, tell people, go, that's out of scope for me. I can't comment yeah. on that. Or, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. you know. You know, all I'm going to do is just give it, you know, from the ENT perspective as to how these two things meet in the middle. Yeah. And then you, you. You, you fill in the rest. So, um, so yeah. So, answers, yeah, I think that answers all the questions. Um, awesome. I don't think there was anything else. And this has been amazing. We'll definitely split this into a couple episodes, but thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. And I know we could probably talk for five more hours, but <laughs> I don't want to keep you. That, well, well, I will be. Give me March. I'll be talking for you eight hours. Be, right, right. Hold on. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. My, my pleasure's been mine. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these myotots, airway, and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can also also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire, for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.